Okay, so we hit record. Okay. We're going to sing the song now. Okay, okay. ready? This is your strange and beautiful life. Oh my goodness, that was exquisite. Oh um, my gosh, I, I feel like I... I like, I started to like go into it. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a brief, it's a fleeting moment, the I theme like song. Yeah, I like it so, so much. yeah. Every- I've never been on a podcast where I had to sing before. Right off the bat. Right off the bat, but yeah. I like it. It, yeah. get, it gets you like loose <laughs> and out of your comfort zone. Yeah. And then like whatever else is. Yeah, is- I'm a bit sweaty, but you, you seem relaxed. <laughs> I mean,. Yeah, I'm not sweat. I'm fine. <laughs> no sweat. Yeah. So yeah. Hi, everybody. And welcome to This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life. My name is Erica J. Schmidt. And on my podcast, I talk to people who may or may not have had the chance to transform their lives into spectacular TED Talks. <gasps> For example, <laughs> over there, I have Abby Stonehouse. Hello. I definitely have not transformed. No, I have. <laughs> close close enough, I think. And yeah, so here she is. But um, we're going to take a quick break and then we will come right back. So see you on the other side. Love you. Bye. <laughs> Hi, everybody. So you just heard Abby Stonehouse. And the great news is that Abby is an even more magnificent comedian and podcast guest than she is a singer. So here comes our interview. But first, we have a quick content warning. So Abby and I discuss significant weight loss, okay? So at This Is Your Strange and Beautiful Life, we strive towards being an anti-diet culture, full bodies, all bodies, acceptance situation. But sometimes healing from erratic eating habits, binge eating disorders, sometimes this can entail weight loss, okay? Not for everybody, not necessary, okay? But for some people, right? And that was the case for Abby. And so we, we do talk about what it is like to have gone through such a radical shift with your body and your body image. We do not get into specifics around food and numbers. Uh, And overall, I think that if you have dealt with this sort of thing, I think it could be therapeutic for you to hear about Abby's recovery process. But if, if food and body image tends to be a little bit of a triggering topic for you, please just take care while listening. Maybe like skip over a few parts if you need to. Uh, but otherwise, thank you so much for your love and for supporting the show. Uh, I also have a technical heads up. Uh, so I am still having this absurd problem of my cables are picking up AM radio signals. And so like Madonna songs and police reports are seeping into my recordings. To my great chagrin, I've tried just about everything on the internet. Like I bought these $90 carcinogenic filters. I bought $90 golden wound cables. No immense success. Right now I'm recording without headphones to see if like the headphones are the culprit, but that that comes with other challenges. Anyways, Fingers crossed. I really did my best to edit out any feedback, but it's not perfect. I apologize for any compromised audio quality in this episode. Hopefully I figure it out. I mean, even if that means recording somewhere else, I don't know. All right. Fingers crossed. Love to the technical vibes. And life can be baffling and frustrating, but hopefully it's also strange and beautiful at least every other Tuesday. 
All right, so let's get to the episode. Love you so much, and I'll see you on the other side. Okay, we're back. I promised we would come back, and here we are. Uh, So today, my guest is English Montreal's most influential and generous stand-up comedian, Abby Stonehouse. Why are you shaking your head? Most influential? (laughs) I have uh, never influenced anyone in my life. (laughs) They should never be influenced by me. Oh, boy. I've been influenced. Okay, you guys are in for the most special treat. Abby was born in the metropolis of Howick, Quebec. (laughs) Metropolis. Metropolis. Amidst cows and fields, she dreamed of becoming the next Celine Dion or Michelin chef or maybe Nick Carter from the Backstreet Boys' girlfriend. Yeah, I had big dreams. You had big <laughs> dreams. And we are de- we are all deeply thankful that she got the hell out of Howick because <laughs> now she here she is at the Magical Treehouse Palace in Montreal and gracing all of Montreal as a wildly popular stand-up comic writer, podcaster, and producer. Mm-hmm. And August marks Abby's six-year yes. comedy anniversary. Happy comedy anniversary to Abby. Thank you. You're Thank welcome. You. Um, so you were famous. Abby is known for her <laughs> honest, autobiographical storytelling approach. Uh, early in her comedy career, she nailed it. She appeared in Off JFL and ZooFest, and soon became a main staple in clubs across the city. Abby is committed to building up the Montreal comedy community and creating onstage opportunities for diverse and emerging voices. She is the host of the popular show Get... It's Fucked with an X. Fex. Fex. Get Fucked. Get get Fucked. Okay. And together with Michelle Dominique, she co-founded Comedy On Demand, which offers... Year-round customized comedy, which you can order for your birthday parties, barbecues, or corporate events. As part of Off JFL, this year, Abby hosted Access Comedy, a repeat of... I have to start again. Okay. (laughs) I know it's a lot. We don't have to... (laughs) No, no, no. I want every minute on this. I want everybody to get the full Abby experience. So as as part of off jfl this year abby hosted access comedy a repeat of montreal's first ever hearing accessible comedy show featuring closed captioning and asl american sign language interpretation her addictive podcast house of stone also offers professional captions and asl interpretation on youtube Okay, now we're almost done. Um, I have listened to all the episodes. I have a deep parasocial bond with Abby Stonehouse. (laughs) I don't know that she has the same bond with me, but that's okay. Um, Abby, I'm delighted to have you here. Welcome to the show. How how are you doing? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. What a nice intro. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I I love your magical treehouse, too. Yeah. Yeah, I had to come up with... There was a legit ladder to come up here. Yeah, it's like... Yeah, and it's an AM radio hotspot. 
spot. So you yes. guys might hear some Backstreet Boys in the background. Well, we'll that'll only add to the experience. <laughs> experience. I, yeah, we'll I support this. <laughs> yeah, we will. Let's try to edit it out, but it might not work. Um, and yeah, and then there's like these chair. We're sitting on patio chairs at my standing desk. It's yes. not very deluxe. My last guest said that I had ableist chairs that like, she's like, I can't get out of here. <laughs> I was like, oh no. Ableist? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like they weren't accessible. I mean, I feel like every... Buddy in Montreal has these chairs, yeah. like either inside or outside. We found them in the garbage. Yeah, so yeah. They're like they're, it's an IKEA staple. Um, you need to own them at least once to be able to exist on this planet. Okay, so, yeah, yes, they're a little hard on your butt, but here we I are. I mean, it's nice that like if you're if this is a treehouse vibe, like this like suits yeah. it. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I love how you called Howick a metropolis. Yeah, well, That's... it's 600 people. It Yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I wanted to talk about that because if there is anything to talk about... There, there's like maybe two things. <laughs> okay, cool. Because like I have this theory about small towns because... You can either grow up like you can either grow up to do like a lot of drugs and make a lot of bad choices <laughs> and maybe like marry the wrong person that you knew since you were like in kindergarten and you are one hundred percent accurate. Get pregnant oh. too, or like you can get like very ambitious because like I had <laughs> I'm from the metropolis of Perth, Ontario, and this is like that's very small too. Cosmopolitan, it's six thousand people. Oh, that's like that's a booming town. Yeah, then. and no, like it's not. <laughs> we had. But we had four Olympians in 2008. Like, it is like a fishbowl oh, of high achievers. Like, you know, my sister was on television. Like, people... Is it because it, it's close? Is it close to Toronto? I don't know geography. No. no. I mean, but everything that... All the achievement was done within the town. There was like okay. a good drama club. Like, there was oh, enough okay. opportunities. So there, was, there was a good... um, What is it? Uh, inve- event organizer in like the city yeah, town or something. Yeah, I guess like two. There was like a hockey coach, a okay. swim coach, and a drama teacher. I don't okay. know. But people were high achievers and like... What, like, how did growing up in a a small town affect your ambitions? Well, I was really fortunate that I had the opportunity to leave and come to Montreal to go to school. Okay. Because, so, and not everyone out there has that opportunity uh, because it does cost a lot of money. You literally, you do have to move there and let, or have a, a, like, transportation. So, like, you need to be, like, middle, upper class if you want to move to montreal to move to montreal and like because there's no sage up out there right there i mean you're from ontario there's like we finished high school at in grade 11 and then we have to do two years in sage up and then we can go Mm -hmm. to university so um at like 17 when you're graduating high school you have to make the choice to like okay am i leaving home to like go to school and do i want to invest all this money into my education or Mm -hmm. do i want to get a job or like so a lot of people don't have the opportunities to get a job so like what you're saying is that like a lot of people like there's different there's either high achievers that like can't have the opportunity to like Mm -hmm. uh but then there's people that like you know find a middle ground there like they they don't go to school but then like you know they they end up like getting a good job and like uh or starting a business or Mm -hmm. going to trade school or so there's a variety of different things but it does seem like when i stalk people from my high school there are (laughs) this like two different subsets of people okay. it's like oh you marry the person you met at 
like at 14 right. and now you have four kids which sure. is fine live your life uh and then then there's people that like got the hell out of there and uh are either like anywhere in Canada and like yeah so but it takes some extra resources than like somebody yes. who grew up in Montreal because they could go to Seychelles. Yeah, Seychef. they could stay Seychef's like at five dollars, yeah. and then you can go. You can yeah. live at home and like, yeah. and like those are those years that you don't have to yeah. spend to support yeah, you yourself. Yeah, stay at home. Like, I mean, a lot of people, like people in in Ontario, right? They they go to grade twelve. Grade and twelve, then, yeah. And then I was thirteen. They, I think like pre. Um, there's like like pre-university courses that you mm-hmm. take and yeah. then so you're when you leave high school then you're 18 19 right 17 going on 18 i think okay. yeah for four and then, years yeah and then you're ready to go to university mm-hmm. ideally um and where like yeah you graduated high school out there you're 17 you're grade Younger, 11 yeah you're grade 11 so you don't have any like university prep and uh so it's it's a it's you That's can neat. get like it's kind of I have seen like out there a cycle of poverty that like happens, yeah. uh, which kind of sucks for sure. And but that's young to leave home. Seventeen. It's so young. Yeah. I uh, I was seventeen when mm-hmm. I left. Oh no, I was eighteen when I left, mm-hmm. and and yeah, it's really really young. I I went into up like fully not ready mm-hmm. to be like living on my own. I wasn't ready because I was working at the same time, going to school and living on my own with a roommate. And it was just, it was all, and it was like a culture shock too. Like I'm in, I came from oh, Howick yeah. to like Montreal. Like the metro, like I'd never taken the metro by oh, myself. Yes. I was like, like my small town was so, like it was, it was so small and like, you know, everything was so simple. Yeah. Like we went to Toronto for a drama festival field trip and yeah. like, I took pictures of my friends going through the revolving doors because we don't have revolving doors in oh, yeah, Perth, yeah. Ontario. And I was like, this yeah. is like a tourist destination, the revolving doors. Oh, yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's a bit of a shock to the system, like the it density definitely... of the population. And yeah. like, does everybody in Howick speak English or French? Um, English, I think now it's a bit different, but growing up, it was very Anglophone. Okay. And the school I went to was an English high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the school that I went to is like a town over and like every teenager from a 45 minute radius came to that mm-hmm. school. Um, so yeah, it was, it was very Anglo. I grew up very, very Anglophone mm-hmm. for right. sure. Yeah. And then you come to Montreal. Well, mixed yeah. bag in Montreal, yeah. but yeah, definitely can relate to shock to the system. And oh, you yeah. like, I don't know, being away from your family, like yeah. you just, you know, the laundry, you have to cook oh, yeah. food. Like it's just, there's a lot happening going there's to the grocery school for store. Sure. Yeah, and I know that like some people like really adapt quickly and thrive. I was not one of them. <laughs> no, I cried a lot. And yeah. like the homework, right? Like you yeah. have to like like you know, buy your liters of milk because I was on this meal plan. I had to drink like four and a half cups of milk a day. What? What? Uh, <laughs> it was like I was like just fresh out of an eating disorder program oh, and I had okay. this like very structured like 2750 calorie meal I mean, plan. I mean if it was because of an eating disorder program then that's good but I thought I thought it was like some program that like oh you were like in res and you like ha- had a meal plan oh, no. that you were, you bought and they were like you had what's included is for <laughs> Oh no 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 I we were off campus residents okay. in um Solon Hall but I did also like maybe 
some people already know this story, but I did also drink the milk because I thought it would help me grow tits. Like I okay. thought that it was going to help my, my boobs grow. Mm-hmm. And then I became like extremely anemic from <laughs> all the dairy. Like it prevents you from absorbing iron. Yeah. And so I was very tired and I went yes. to the dietitian and I was like, hi, um, <laughs> I'm really my iron my iron is really really bad yeah. and she's like why are you drinking that much da- dairy and I was like well it's on my meal plan and also I'm trying to grow tits and she was like no that probably won't work like yeah. just like it's not gonna work you have to like yes. grow everywhere like it's just not in my genes so yeah. Yeah. I don't know like They're, I have like, to do boobs are very genetic yeah not <laughs> for me so anyways it's okay because now I have like eternal tits like they don't sag because oh, I mean it's good. okay to have saggy tits too but that's like, good I just don't like when, when you get older you wish I like I wish I was flat just <laughs> well I don't know because they get flatter and flatter it just like shrinks I've never okay. talked about my boobs on the podcast oh my god this let's go into so- it I uh- <laughs> Uh, when I was like like uh, overweight or like when I was bigger, um, my boobs were spectacular. Right. They were they were huge. They were like I, that was the best part about me. Oh my goodness, <laughs> my boobs and I like I I love my boobs. When I I lost a bunch of weight uh-huh. and they just like I lost a lot of weight. Yeah. In, in my boobs and now they're like they. They're okay. They're not like wrinkly and saggy sure or whatever. Nice. But like they're they're definitely not what I want them to be and not right. what I expected them to be. But you know, I'd rather be healthier and mm-hmm. have weird boobs than to right. be bigger and unhealthy and not the greatest. <laughs> well, I mean, everybody's boobs are going to go through a journey. I don't find mine yes. have changed a lot, although I find they get smaller. As they get older, they mm-hmm. are just like, oh, okay, like, you know, any weight loss, they'll shrink mm-hmm. and then they won't grow back. Like, yeah. they'll just stay shrunken. Uh-huh. I don't know. There's not a lot of action there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't like, I don't wear your boobs give up on you. Like you're not like you're you're not having a baby. You're not like, you don't need these. Nobody's yeah. Nobody's like sucking on them. They're just like, whatever. (laughs) We're just going to like deflate into here. But what was I going to say about boobs? (laughs) So yeah, small shrinking Saggy. Boobs grow. Um, What else can we talk about? (laughs) Some keywords. We talked about lactation. Oh, I heard you could like recreationally lactate. Yeah, so you can take a pill to make you... Oh. I think so. I don't know If you like get somebody to suck in your tits long enough, will the milk come out? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. No. Because I I just know that um, people that like adopt children, Mm -hmm. um, they can like start the lactation process. Really? I didn't know about that. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Don't so quote riveting. me because I know <laughs> yeah. nothing. I know nothing about biology, geography, all the the science, chemistry. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, all the G's. <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, me either. Well, mm-hmm. I think I have like at least three more things to say about boobs, mm-hmm. but I can't remember, so we'll have to circle back. Okay. Um, <laughs> just. Okay, mm-hmm. so then you're a very like creative person, and it sounds like that started in your childhood, and yeah. you wanted to be like a singer. You did not so much want to be outside with the tractor, although I heard you yeah. liked tobogganing, like some <laughs> outdoor activities, not all of them. You uh, really listen to like every podcast. I listen so to every a, single yeah. one. I listened to yeah. three more this morning. Yeah. I, I think I have a hundred percent attendance on your podcast. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, 
But you said that every time you would discover a new hobby, you would like build a fantasy around it and then desperately want to be profoundly good at it. Like there was no like half bad ukulele in Abby's world. She was like, everything was like. I put a lot. Yeah. So like uh, in my first episode, I talked about being a dreamer. And like when I started to on when I got into something, I put a lot of energy into it. Mm -hmm. And if if I wasn't good at it, I gave up. And (laughs) I don't find it fun to not be good at things personally. (laughs) But like when I if I got it, got into something like I got into singing for a while, I want and I knew I was like semi talented. As a kid, I had like a different voice than I do now. I think like puberty was like hard on my vocal cords. I don't know. Uh, I haven't explored singing since I was a child. But, but you when I will was, explore yes, it later at the today. End. <laughs> at oh the boy. end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I got into it and I I loved it and I was obsessed with it and. I would, yes, I would build these fantasies like, okay, one day I'm gonna, I'm gonna get like win a Grammy. Like I go, I would go to like the extreme, like the extreme, like I, I want to like achieve all of these things. And maybe I'm just like an extreme narcissist and attention seeker, but, um, it could be that, but whatever. Um, and yeah, I just like, it, it would manifest that way. So I got into singing that way. I got into cooking. Um, at one point I was into drawing and photography and painting. I was very, very creative. Mm-hmm. And when I, some way, somewhere, in my teens, I convinced myself that I wasn't creative. So I went into a different path or I didn't want, I suppressed that. I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, I want to go into a path that like makes me quote unquote successful, like, like seen as society successful, you know, like own a business or so on and so forth or like, uh, um, like academia. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I went like I kind of suppressed that for a long time and then it was only like in my 20s when I like started to like rediscover my creativity and with becoming a fan of stand up that just like opened so much more doors and it just manifested to what it is now and I remember hearing it was in my early 20s my I ran into my old like third grade teacher oh what's her name yeah his name? and um her name is mrs dunn and mrs. Dunn. Uh, she was she was my favorite teacher oh. ever like till this day mm-hmm. best teacher and um she she like i told her what i was doing and she's she was like you know i always knew you were gonna do something creative and I like I was kind of like blown away because for so long I was like suppressing that mm-hmm. and I wish I ran into her sooner just like to reinforce that like okay yes I'm supposed to be doing something creative and were you at the time you ran yes. into her yeah. oh okay yeah. okay because you had like a serious day job for a while oh yeah, yeah. boring okay yeah. I mean I'm not a big well no I can't say I'm not yeah. a big fan of day jobs the, oh I hate day jobs day jobs yeah. are uh, hit or miss yes. I'm gonna say that um yes. yeah and yeah, so I um I had to like I had like throughout my 20s I was going to school throughout my 20s and then I um also after graduating I got a full-time job mm-hmm. as a program coordinator for a not-for-profit and that it was fulfilling 
However, I knew from the beginning that that, or almost from the beginning that like, I definitely needed like an exit plan from that. You couldn't do it for the rest of your life. No, it definitely was temporary, even though it did open a lot of doors for me, gave me a lot of experience, uh, taught me like how valuable I am as like an employee. And, um, so I, I kind of like designed my life that like, okay, I'm doing this for now. And then like, I'm going to slowly get out of this and really try to like be able to focus on comedy full time. And I was lucky to be able to do that the last like two years. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Cause like, yeah. So you dabbled in your different creative stuff, but then like, then talk about falling in love with comedy. Like it just something really clicked for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, so if you listen back on my podcast, I talk about it a lot. It was really just me becoming a fan of, of stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. I started listening to the podcast, You Made It Weird with Pete Holmes. Yeah. And so I, and he interviews a lot of comedians and he talks about his artistic process with comedians and his journey to stand up. He's and a bit spiritual too, I find. Yeah, yeah. He, he, yeah. So his podcast talks about uh, sex comedy god god oh yeah that was his book i think yeah 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 so those are the three topics he always talks about and uh so i i loved his podcast and i started i just obsessed with hearing about their careers and how Mm -hmm. they got to where they are dreamy and and their and their process so i started what because of listening to that podcast i started watching a lot more Mm -hmm. stand-up comedy either on netflix or at shows around the city and uh, it's just, I just started writing jokes. And the at the time, the idea of getting on stage was like very intimidating as to everyone. Yeah. Uh, it was scary. And so I just kind of put it on. I was like, oh, these these jokes are just for me. I, I'm yeah. never going to. It's just for fun. And then I, I with a, because of a friend, he was going on stage for the first time. Mm-hmm. He, I met him. Um, he was an inspiring stand-up comedian, and then he decided to finally like go on stage, mm-hmm. sign up for an open mic, and I decided to do it too. So terrifying! Yeah, it's so terrifying. It's like the it's the scariest experience, but for me, it was what made it everything lined up in my mind. Like I I got my set together, I did it on stage, I. No, it wasn't very good, but I still loved it. Mm-hmm. I still loved being on stage. Uh, so I just, it just led to mm-hmm. everything else. So it's been a like a slow process, not linear at all. But I, I loved it so much. I just kept pushing, and it was the same thing when I was a kid. I just developed this like fantasy around it, like oh my gosh, like. But it was, it felt more tangible to me. Like mm-hmm. I. I have a talent. I can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I listened to so many comedian stories on podcasts, I know like that it was like, you just got to get on stage. You just got to write. So you just, I just keep doing that. Yeah. And it's led to so many things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. And happy comedy anniversary too. Oh, thank this you. Month, right? yeah, yeah. This okay. is on, it's on Tuesday. Oh, the, the 15th uh, is my comedy anniversary. And I'm, Actually, this year, 
my first time on stage was at the Comedy Nest, uh-huh. and uh, this year I'm performing on the Comedy Nest on my univer- on the Tuesday. Yeah, so it's kind of like full circle. But that, that place I've gone a few times. I actually thought of doing stand up comedy a very long time ago. I thought it was like maybe my only chance at life, and it seemed very redeeming. <laughs> Your only chance at life. <laughs> what does that mean? I just thought, oh, like I don't know if you. It's just life's so sad. I could just make jokes about it. Like mm. my therapist thinks I'm funny. Um. <laughs> So, but, my therapist thinks I'm hilarious, and he's like my number one fan. Although he's never seen me do stand up, for what I know, uh, maybe he's hidden in the back. But I don't think he did. Right. That's not professional. It'll but be a bit yeah. Weird. yeah, but then I just think, oh, it's so. It just seems so nerve wracking. I mean, I've been on stage for storytelling before, but just like the pressure, you're supposed to be making people laugh. Like, what yeah. if they just don't think it's funny? Which they probably. Won't. I mean, there's always moments like that. Um, there's I talked to another comedian the other day and she was saying that oh I she she's newer at comedy and she she does a lot of um uh queer shows queer open mm-hmm. mics queer um in the because there's a, a big queer community that does stand up and storytelling mm-hmm. so there's a lot of like queer shows in the city and she sort of focused her energy only doing those mm-hmm. shows and she I was talking to her and she was like, you know what, like I I'm scared to do any other shows but these shows because I don't want to be I I don't know if my comedy is going to translate to that stage or and her like she was like, oh, like I don't want to like bomb. I don't want to like suck. I'm right. like, that is part of the process. It's bombing. <laughs> you, know have, that you're gonna... you have to bomb. And yeah. If your material is working on the, in this one setting, the, like the only way you know that it's universally funny is when you like mm-hmm. go to a different and then you can adapt. Yeah. And like that's the whole process of what I love about it. Um, so hopefully like she pushes herself to do like a, yeah. uh, um, a few other shows. Like but the the fact that she was doing it because she didn't want to suck. I'm like, no, you you have yeah. to suck. Yeah, yeah, go yeah. out, go out there and suck. You may not. This joke may not be funny. There's so many times that I've gone on stage and like gotten nothing thought, from. Oh, this was so funny in my head. Like it's so funny <laughs> in the bathroom. Come on, or like my therapist liked this one, but like, yeah. like it's true. Different crowds too. I mean, sometimes I find like at some comedy shows, you're like, well, this is a lot. There's a lot of fuck, and then there's a lot of like insulting women and sometimes I'm like eh. that's why I like you and John like there's it's refreshing yeah. uh, but like so there is that scene too so I could see her not being comfortable or oh, feeling absolutely. safe and that sort of absolutely. thing but, but I don't see a lot of it's not so bad I haven't been out much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm sure some comedians are like not. I mean, you can't expect every comedian to like every comedian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I don't. I don't know. Maybe I'm blinded by it, but I don't mm-hmm. see like a lot of like women bashing at all. Yeah, it's getting better yeah. then. I mean, this was yeah. like probably. I think I went to a stand up comedy night, like or an open mic. Like it was 2010. I was like underemployed and I was like, oh, well, maybe I should try this one day. So I just went to it and I was like, uh, (laughs) and then I never did it. So maybe I'll try to do it within a year. I'll do one. I'll do one open mic and I'll I'll tell you how it went. I won't invite any of my friends. (laughs) <laughs> let me know cool. i mean there's so many that you can try that like very low pressure you know yeah, low the, com- pressure. the comedy nest is very it, it's a it's a very like 
it's a great comedy venue, but mm-hmm. it, it seems really intimidating. Yeah. But especially Everybody the first time I did it. Because, like, I mean, it, there's, some, there's pr- like, production. And yeah. there's lights and it where, like, there's smaller open mics. Like that a little are, cafe or something like this. That's yeah. very, Bring like, my ukulele just in case. Yes. Like, no, we're going to sing yeah. Landslide instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, that's great. Okay, and now I think we're ready to talk about some more personal questions if you're up for it you said you were but you can always back out yeah no if i ever go off topic let me know oh it's okay we're all (laughs) topic but yeah so oh yes so then i was at a performance in the spring and you announced that you were i think two to three months sober from alcohol yes yeah Yeah. and this is like a bit revolutionary like (laughs) just in our world because everybody loves alcohol the most but then in the comedy world it seems like and again i'm not really (laughs) in the scene so Mm -hmm. i don't know but it just seems that like it's very integral to like i think sobriety (laughs) is becoming more popular but like i just think you know, it it almost seems obligatory. <laughs> like yeah. you, know, you have the like. I mean, all a lot of our shows are in bars. Yeah, and so it's and some of the times we get paid and drink tickets. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, I I've been in and out of like sobriety four years. Like okay. I guess it's been like three years, and it's I definitely have more of a. Um, I'm definitely more in control of my alcohol consumption. Um, and But I've definitely been on a long stint of like not drinking um, because I, I mean, in 2020, it was like the peak of my addiction for everything. Yeah. So like when the pandemic hit, Go we were for alone, <laughs> everything, too much time with our own thoughts. And so it was, I was peak like binge eating, food addiction and alcohol. And so it was really, and before that I've gotten, I've gone stints of like purposely not drinking because mm-hmm. I knew I was drinking way too Just much. Just take like a break? How long would the breaks be? Like It would be like, I would do like a 90 day like challenge with myself. Okay, that's pretty then, long. Yeah. And then, you know, I don't know, summer would hit and I'd be like. Mm-hmm. There's nothing like summer yeah. drinking. Even I, I haven't drank, for, I haven't drank for years, but then like, you know, when you're hot, yeah. you maybe like didn't have enough to eat for lunch. It's yeah. like four o'clock. You're like, oh. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Cider. I, yeah. So I, I definitely, uh, I choose to not drink because okay. it, I do, it really I really do like have a problem with it, like mm-hmm. historically. Um, but I do know that now I can have one drink and I it won't spiral right. me into like being three months and not going a day without drinking. Right. I know that will not happen because I've I've tried it. I'm like, oh, yeah. I've, I've had one white claw in the park and I've been fine. Yeah. But I also see a trend like when I do that. Like have one drink or two drinks. I for the next three days, I'm like more anxious and more depressed. Yeah. So I, I'm like, it's not worth it. The for hangover me. is so punishing after like age 31. I find like yeah. even from little bits of alcohol. Yeah. Like yeah. do you wake up at night? I always wake up at night if I had drinks. Like, yeah. 
it affects your sleep. And oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I don't know. I don't like I don't understand how people can metabolize all the alcohol they do, like without I, being tired and crying all the time. I, that's what <laughs> exactly. I don't I don't I see. I mean, like you said, in stand up comedy, I'm surrounded by it always people are drinking every night Mm -hmm. and they they seem to be I mean they're managing their lives they have a day job most of them they're getting up some of them have kids and Mm -hmm. they're perfectly fine but I'm just not a person that can do that Mm -hmm. (laughs) like the boomers are drinking like it's just like oh yeah my my parents are drinking like every day every day I don't understand (laughs) and like yeah and my dad like my my dad drinks like two to three beers a day and then like which isn't a lot. He's not drunk. He's like a mm-hmm. big dude. Um, but he gets up and goes to work at like 5 or 6 a.m. And yeah. he's just like, he's just very, I think people just get used to just feeling like shit. Do they feel like shit? Or like, or you get used to feeling good and you just can't deal with like any sort of like disequilibrium. Yeah. But like, so you don't do the program. You don't, Mm-mm. I mean, I don't even know if you're allowed to talk no. about the program on. Yeah. I don't know how that works. But yeah, it's not like a. No, I like, I think maybe years ago I would have benefited, benefited from it, but I sort of, I just did these like little stints of like, just, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm not drinking for 90 days. We did it. Okay. Let's reward myself by getting fucking hammered. And Mm -hmm. then like slowly, like, and then during the pandemic, I got really bad again. And I just like fully went like committed to like a health kick. Mm -hmm. And so that didn't include alcohol. And so I... I don't think it never, I never was drawn to like doing a type of program, but I know it really helps people. And maybe years ago would have been, it would have kickstarted. It it would have made things easier and faster for me to just like fully commit. When it was more extreme. Yeah. 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 So, um, and like, I'm not saying I'm never going to have a drink again. I don't really see it that I don't think it's I I don't think I need to like do that Mm -hmm. like I I definitely have more of a control over it but for right now I just I don't see the benefit Mm -hmm. of like even having one drink you know I was I found that it was like fun one out of five times like sort of fun and then sometimes it was just so bad and then other times it's just like meh so it just wasn't it was like kind of a it was like a mediocre boyfriend like yeah kind of a shitty boyfriend (laughs) but then does that like you don't rely on alcohol to be relaxed on stage and stuff because like I feel like some people a lot of people did I never yeah like even when I was drinking I never had a drink before a show Mm -hmm. or before my set I I I really took it like seriously as a job and I didn't want to like ruin any sort of like okay like I, I really wanted to be present and be able to uh make that set productive yeah so I made sure that I wasn't I didn't have any sort of alcohol ever and I also I drive everywhere so I I never like I when I was at shows I would never drink because I was going I always had that that was like kind of tying me down but in a good way yeah um so doesn't tie everyone down it it does not (laughs) I know I know people with breathalyzers in their car Uh, but like I, I've never, even when I was a teenager, I lived in Howick and uh-huh. like to go anywhere you had to drive or get a lift. Uh-huh. And when I got my license, I was the most responsible right. 16, 17 year old you'll ever see in your life. Like mm-hmm. I was like, no, like I'm going to be DD. I'm going to borrow my mom's van and we're going to transport seven people. So they don't drink and drive. Yeah. Like, drinking and driving was a big deal. Like, yeah. A lot of people died. And, yeah, yeah. It's dangerous. Yeah. No, I don't. I mean, I, I wouldn't 
I feel like even some people who drink like four or five drinks and drive would probably still be a better driver than me. So for (laughs) me, it's like a no, a no tolerance situation. Mm, mm -hmm. Uh, But I feel the same with like, with storytelling. It's like, well, if you like messed up your lines, Mm. like, and then you're like, oh, I shouldn't have drank. Like same with like eating too. Like some people don't eat at all, but Mm. I'm like, I feel like I have to eat something before I go on stage. Cause otherwise like just... You know, I have a a sweet spot with like I can like I need like an an hour or two hours before I perform like like I'll eat. Yeah, not right before. Not right before. Like I once I was in Ottawa once and (laughs) I saw the like the host like down this huge poutine like like minutes before (laughs) she went on stage. And I'm like. I'm staring at her just like, is she really doing like, I would be like in, like I would get on stage and be like, like I would be like incoherent, like just so like exhausted and And full. Yeah. I get tired too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. But I mean, she was fine, but it was so like, I was just like, (laughs) I was the only one experiencing this dilemma that I was was watching, but she was okay. Worried about her, her intestines, but well, I guess she did. Okay. Yeah. Everybody has their, thing but yeah and then so that's like alcohol and then in terms of like addictions and stuff but then we can talk about because you've mentioned and you mentioned this earlier with your Mm. spectacular tits that have I'm sure they're spectacular (laughs) but they've changed because you (laughs) lost a hundred pounds yeah I I've lost like over a hundred pounds for sure I don't um I don't weigh myself that's good I don't I don't do that we don't haven't done that I mean you mentioned uh eating disorder in the past like I don't I I I did have a lot of problems with eating disorders as a teenager Mm -hmm. and so has my sister so I just got into the habit very early in life to not weigh myself yeah um however (laughs) it maybe would have been helpful to like know that I was getting to that size right like a dangerous size but I also knew because of pictures and how I felt are you tall are you tall I am tall yeah right I'm almost uh five nine I'm not that tall we're tall we're like tall five eights yeah that's yeah. what I am, a tall 5'8". Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, taller people, you mm-hmm. need more weight to, like, just be vertical, yeah. but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, because, like, I guess, yeah, I, always, I do mention eating disorders a lot on the show because I have, you know, out of my hundreds of listeners, <laughs> some yeah. of them have eating disorders. Yeah. And I definitely had a serious eating disorder. And then it's, like... Yeah, I guess I never really know what to say with weight loss. Like, my policy is always, like, don't comment yeah. on people's weight. Don't, like, comment on That's the general, their... like, you should never comment on it's someone's like, weight. Oh, you unless look they, great. Like, unless, like, I'm, like, someone's willing, if they bring it up, I yeah. am like, oh. Like, there's been people that, because I say it on stage, like, uh, that I had a food addiction and I lost weight, that invites a lot of people to, like, either give their opinions or talk to me about mm-hmm. it. But... I am at a point where I'm very comfortable with it, yeah. where years ago I would have not been comfortable with it. What um, opinions do people give? Um, Just like they ask me like, oh, how did you lose the weight? And oh. like, or tell me like what they, they've had success with right. in terms of like diets and stuff. And I... In general, like, I know that I don't, not everyone has this opinion, but I feel like diet culture, like talking about, like talking about diets is the most boring and like, it's very boring and it could be so triggering for people's people. So no, like, it like you have to find your own way of like existing and living and what's healthy for you. And Mm -hmm. what works for me is probably won't work for like 
most other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like um, talking to me about like a keto diet is not, not like I don't care. No, I know intermittent fasting. Yeah. I'm just like, oh, I just I, sometimes I'm just like, I think I need to leave the room. Like, yeah. I just I just tune out and like, but yeah. like some people I, I was in a, a situation where somebody was talking about intermittent fasting and then the, she left and I sort of was like, oh, I hate that. And this other yeah. one was like, I didn't even notice. Right. Yeah. But I think that yeah. if you've had an eating disorder, you're sort of vulnerable to all those yeah. little comments or like, cause yeah, like you just walk down the street and people, you can like every few conversations, people are talking about their eating plans and you're like, yeah, yeah. it's very pervasive. And like diet yeah. culture is, we try to be anti-diet culture on mm-hmm. this is your strange and beautiful life, but it's like everywhere. Right. Mm-hmm. And like disgusting disguised as wellness and like disguised yeah, as, yeah. as loving yourself but like yeah what I wanted to ask was like like was it healing for you to lose weight like how how did like has there been like a before and after like on the insides and the outsides like what is it like like it's like yeah so being- because I went through the process of this not weighing myself and just going with like how I felt mm-hmm. physically I felt that that was so beneficial for me because mm-hmm. I got to these like I got to be so mindful of these non-scale victories you Mm -hmm. know uh which I think uh, I read that I didn't invent that like phrasing victories okay that's good yeah just like so I I just tracked like I took photos of myself every three months and Mm -hmm. then so that would kind of reinforce like okay what I'm doing and I also the whole time I was just trying to um recover from a food addiction right so i wasn't eating food that was triggering my addiction or triggering my um my want wanting to binge Mm -hmm. eat so um so i knew that like okay i've i've gone you know a month without binging or Mm -hmm. so those were like victories that and it was very liberating in my mind to just have a clear head and not always be thinking about food which is what i was doing constantly i was thinking about just like my the next thing I was going to eat and just the like just eating so much food Mm -hmm. and so it was just so it was such a relief just to not my my brain was so consumed by it Mm -hmm. and it was exhausting so I it, it was very liberating yeah and I slowly my body changed and I saw like victories of like, Oh, I can like walk longer. Right. I can like go like, and now I like working out. And before I just didn't do any of that. I didn't like it because it hurt. It was like, it was hard. And like, and so now it's, it, yeah. So there was definitely a lot of like these victories that I had through the journey and it's still like, I'm still on the path of just like healing uh, from a food addiction and it, but it's, I've definitely have more control over it for sure. And sometimes does it mean that you actually have to eat more regularly and be like more, because a lot of people don't eat enough and then they're like wondering why they're diving into like barrels of ice cream at night. It's like, I tried to, I tried to cure John Cotroquois of his muffin (laughs) addiction. I was like, John, you can have as much muffins, as many muffins as you want, but he had all these rules around it. Right. So then I felt like that backfired for him. But so like there's like probably a nutritional component. Yeah. And then do you have like specific therapy or you just have a special? So I have like, I do therapy every week. It's not specifically for my food addiction. It's for a lot of other things. But Mm -hmm. it was, I followed a uh, a meal plan uh, for food addiction. Okay. uh, That was uh, recommended to me. It 
by a friend and uh, she gave me a book that this person wrote all about the science of food addiction and what like the, and there was a meal plan sort mm-hmm. of like recommended. Did you get to have four and a half cups of milk every day? <laughs> no, no, uh, they didn't recommend that, but they did recommend like a certain amount of like protein every meal, yeah. certain amount of vegetables and fat. So it was, it was very, it's three meals a day and it's, it's very substantial and nutrient, mm-hmm. uh, filled and um my palate changed through that process so i got really like i love the food that i Mm -hmm. i eat now and yeah so it was it just like switched my brain Mm -hmm. over to to eat in a more healthy way yeah 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 okay so was was healing it sounds like and it is a long journey and i guess like i would say that like you know, not everybody's healing from food addiction will involve weight loss, right? Like some oh, no. people will yeah. just like, yeah, they will be in bigger bodies their whole lives, yeah. and, but they can still heal from their food addictions, like oh, in yeah. whatever there's, size there's there is. There's thin yeah. people that have food yeah, addictions because like, their, their metabolisms are, you know, different than someone like me. And, and you know, the, it's also this, this gnawing in your brain. Maybe mm-hmm. you don't always uh, focus Though you don't always act on it, but like mm-hmm. if someone that is addicted to food can like, I see that with some of my friends that like love sweets, like they have yeah. a sweet tooth and they like, so they're always thinking about like, oh, I'm yeah. going to get this, uh, like, oh, I'm passing by Tim Hortons, I'm going to get like whatever. Yeah, it sort of like consumes you. Yeah, yeah. 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 That's the thing. There's so much focus. There's so much focus on the food and on the weight. And I mean, I yeah. know everybody says, you know, it's not really very innovative to say it's like an inside job, but it really is about like, just like going through your life and just not having to like this is a bit silly everybody laughs at me when I tell this story but like I have had my like what what would you say I've been not clinically eating disordered for you like for since I think 2011 was my last day with okay. vomit yeah and I mean you know you still fuck around. like sometimes exercise is yeah. a bit of an ex- yeah. uh, obsession like sometimes in stressful times I will under eat mm. whatever there's different things but I had like a very regular addiction to carrots. I would buy a bag of like organic carrots from California, two kilograms, like manky, like they weren't always good throughout the year, right? Like they would be gross sometimes. And it was just like, I would just like zone out and eat the carrots. And there's no real consequence to that right no, like you would no. just like probably have like diarrhea sometimes but it wasn't like <laughs> like it's like who cares it was like 2.99 yeah. every yeah. day or two like but sometimes it just but like it was consuming you know yeah. what I mean like it was like I had to go buy the carrot yes. and it's just like it was yeah. I mean carrots I, are delicious for sure yeah but like yeah. I could have spent the rest of my life and done that it wouldn't have been a big deal yeah and then what happened was I was starting to have stomach issues, I had like a very stressful, uh, abusive friendship that was giving me like heartburn and like pre ulcers. Honestly, it was pretty oh, bad. Boy. And okay. um, and then I also I think I had like the third COVID shot, and I was very nauseous for a couple of days, and I just kind of stopped. Like okay. I just and I just kind of like and I had sort of taken a few days off here and there, but like I just it kind of it kind of wore off. So I guess it wasn't like it wasn't like I did it. 30 day program or anything very innovative but <laughs> for, for your carrot addiction <laughs> but I did I was like okay don't go back to this you know don't yeah. like because it it just it did I mean, take raw a, foods are can be 
hard on your stomach, stomach, especially if you're having sensitive issues. Um, So yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah, Yeah, it was just like, I feel very relieved. And I'm sure everyone is very relieved for me to have healed my carrot addiction. (laughs) And it seems silly, but it was just like, it's a headspace, you know, we don't, there's so many other things to think about. And like, now I have carrots in the fridge, I just buy the little like, um, sur the tige uh, on the stem yeah. with the green things and then I'll have like one or yeah. I'll have like one it's like your alcohol yeah. it's not yeah. like a big I can have yeah. one I mean I'm I mean like, we go through like f- food hyperfixations yeah. too like I do that <laughs> I do that too even now in like a more like when I even I have like a more healthy relationship with food I'll like fixate on this certain like meal and that all you like, have, like, like I have this thing I was telling my friend about it that like I've been eating the same breakfast oh I do that too yeah, I've been eating the same breakfast every day for probably two years. Yeah. And uh, I go to bed thinking about this food. Like, I'm just so high. What like, is and I, it? And I only, like, I only eat it for breakfast. It's not like, it's a very breakfast meal. Like, because there's, it's, uh, what it is, it's it's rice cakes with peanut butter and banana. Oh, okay. And then, so, like, I'll, I'll, I don't know why. It's just, like, this perfect combination of, like, savory, sweet, and then, like, crunchy. Mm-hmm. And that I love. And then it's, like, a perfect combination with, like, my coffee. And I was, and I'm going into such detail about it. And I know this is really boring no, to some every, people, but, but like this, like I love it. So, like, so it's kind of like the carrot. You're just like so hyper fixated on yeah. it because it's like delicious, crunchy. Like there's satisfies something mm-hmm. in your brain. Um, and but like for me, like I know, like okay, this is only breakfast food. There's no vegetables in it, so this is my breakfast. That's it. And uh, but it's like my favorite thing. Yeah, it's, ever. It, I find it is soothing to have food routines. Yeah. right? but like, but you're not like zoning out while you're yeah. eating the you know you're enjoying that yeah, and you like yeah. it's a healthy you should definitely be and- like if i had to like if any of the listeners are struggling with a food addiction mm-hmm. is like the first step is to just like sit down with a meal no screens in front of you and just be mindful of what you're eating do you do so like do you not do screens at food like this is at the, the beginning i i didn't at all wow. now i'm more lenient with it yeah but like even now and then i like check myself and i'm just like because we can eat so m- mindlessly yeah and we don't like like that's why I feel like like in the morning I have such a ritual with my breakfast that's why I think I enjoy it so much because like I just like sit there just relax you don't read and stuff no no I I think this is my next breakthrough I'm always distracted when I'm eating I have a very hard time just sitting well like I like that too sometimes I just I I need that just to (laughs) like just not to be with my thoughts and Mm -hmm. just like and to like fill my body with nutrients Mm -hmm. and stuff so like there's some moments but I think like when I was in the peak of my food addiction I literally did not know what was like going into my I was just eating whatever oh that's gone I guess it's over yeah yeah yeah. so it's a it really it really makes you more like intentional when you're Mm -hmm. eating and like you you able to like just your brain's able to like absorb the flavors that Mm -hmm. are happening and stuff like that so yeah yeah Yeah, well, like eating is one of the joys of life, right? And I think that if you had an eating disorder, you missed out on that, right? And it's still, I don't know, it's still low 
started, I find when I go home with my family, like certain family members, I find that triggering, like Mm -hmm. just the way they eat or don't eat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I don't love the phrase, it's always something you're going to deal, like it's always going to be there. You're always going to have to deal with eating disorders, but you are always going to have to deal with food. And I guess... Yeah. Yeah. Just like having a, I I don't know, just having a nice ritual around it. At least, you know, you can have your safe rituals and then when other people around you might have to adjust or it might not, it might not always be serene. I've had to, I have, I've had to, because I've been with my boyfriend for almost two years now. Mm -hmm. When I first started dating him, I had to like adjust to just like eating with another person regularly. And like, cause like I, like I don't eat dairy i don't eat sugar i don't eat like certain mm-hmm. things uh so uh i had like we both had to adjust to mm-hmm. each other and that was like it was hard aren't you both vegan did yeah, I? yeah okay yeah yeah, so. yeah. i mean i uh, i will eat a free range eggs but yeah, like yeah. other than that i'm mm-hmm. pretty much i'm yeah i don't eat yeah. like uh animal products so yeah i um there's always like it's always you're always like I think that's just the way life is you're always like kind of adapting Mm -hmm. to like life and like Mm -hmm. sometimes because you're living you've had experience with an eating disorder or some version of an eating eating disorder it can you you're kind of conscious of that Mm -hmm. but it's it becomes normal yeah almost Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and it's not like it's not like oh I have to like I have to say no to this. It's just yeah, like, yeah. no, that's not my, what I that's eat. That's not, not for my, me. Yeah. 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 For sure. Okay. I hope this is not boring to people. No, you know what? <laughs> We're just, I think eating and food, it's important. And yeah. um, healing from eating and food yeah. issues is important. So yeah. hopefully. I mean, it's all part of like, you asked me about my addiction. There, yeah. I have many addictions to things. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And it's like a core, yeah. core situation we face. Yeah. All right, so one of my goals in life is for everyone to know what a mammoth complex is, okay? So a mammoth complex is the perceived notion that you are perpetually ballooning towards becoming the size of a mammoth, even though by all accounts you are a very reasonable and human size. Whatever size you are, if you struggle with a mammoth complex, if you deal with or have dealt with eating issues, body image struggles, Uh, Once upon a time, I wrote an essay series called Mammoth Complex, and it's about my life in my body as someone who acquired a mammoth complex at an extremely young age, along with the eating disorders, psychological drama, and massive head trips that followed. I talk about thin privilege, mayonnaise, Botox, and the pressure many of us feel to stay thin and beautiful forever. You can read this essay series for free. There are three parts plus an intro. I will link to it all in the show notes. Or you can Google Erica plus Mammoth Complex in quotation marks. And then all the links will come up on my website homepage. Or just dive into my blog at erikajschmidt.com blog for this and other essays. Meanwhile, big love to you. Big love to your Mammoth Complex. And let's get back to the show. Are we ready for the listener question now? Sure. Okay. Sure. <laughs> I love listener questions. You're, you're s- steering the ship, so okay. I'll, I'll do whatever. Okay. I, I read it, um, and I'm excited for you to, oh, <laughs> to yeah. come into Okay. It. So here we go. <laughs> this is the <laughs> highlight of my life. Okay. <laughs> Dear Erica and Abby, 
My brother has a habit of hooking up with my friends, and he thinks I don't know about it. One of my friends is a straight guy dating a girlfriend of mine. Two weeks ago, my brother and this guy got drunk, and I walked in on them having hardcore sex. <laughs> we haven't said anything to each other, and the guy and my friend are still dating. He's still with yes. his girlfriend. Okay, how do I address this super awkward situation? Love, my bro's a hoe. <laughs> I have I want to know so much uh, more yeah, <laughs> about I mean. all of that because like <laughs> the fact that like she's labeling it hardcore sex like my my like what is hardcore sex? Well, maybe it seemed like they were having fun. <laughs> yes, like maybe it's just sex. Like, yeah, right. It's all it's sex hardcore is a little bit sex. hardcore. <laughs> uh, maybe my bar for hard, hardcore sex. Like, were they was it bondage yeah, or right. whatever? Yeah. Um, but uh, that's interesting. Um, it's it's fun. Is has I guess her brother has slept with other dudes is this brother gay yeah. or is it just or bi or flu because i was expecting like at the beginning of this question for it to be like oh he's sleeping with like my 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 girlfriend i don't know maybe i'm just very heteron heteronormative yeah. brain mm -hmm. or whatever mm -hmm. but i wasn't expecting like a seemingly straight guy that has a girlfriend like fucking his uh, her brother uh, yeah <laughs> and it's like is that more acceptable yeah, is it? No, it's no, like in it's this day cheating, and age, anything yeah. ha can happen. Yeah, I mean, I guess could they have an open relationship and then yeah. we're all good? But yeah. it sounds like no. Like yeah. it sounds like he would have known. I mean, some yeah. people are don't advertise yeah. their open yeah. relationship, but then we'd have no issue. But let's yeah. say they don't have an open relationship. Yeah. So you have your girlfriend yeah. who's being cheated on and you yeah. know this. Yeah, with, I, uh, cheating on with the guy like with her brother it's like it's so like complicated yeah but at the same time i feel like there's ways to inquire without like like anyone getting on the defensive like the brother like you approach your brother be like hey just like you know you know i know <laughs> yeah and like uh is there like what is happening like just inquire a little bit and be like oh like he he's open with his girlfriend and then like case closed yeah then you're done it's none of your business mm -hmm. um and at the same time i think if i caught like you're someone cheating i would be like you know what again this is none of my business right <laughs> and i don't know it depends how close you are with like the friend the, the friend i think mm -hmm. like if it was if it was my best friend, I would immediately tell yeah, her. Yeah, immediately. Like, when like, within seconds. Like, immediately tell her. Because, and... Because that'll though, just go badly if you don't. Even with loyalty to my family member, be like, I... Like, it, yes, I would have a moment of being torn. Like, oh my god, my brother is, like, in the mix of this. But I, I would still immediately... Yeah, lo loyalty to your friend. This guy, yeah. this person, we don't know if yeah. it's girl, um, yeah, female friend or male friend. But yeah, if you're close, you should tell. I yeah. think, yeah, and then maybe it'll get cleared up by an open relationship. Like I had a situation. I was on Facebook dating, and yeah. I saw the guy that my friend is started seeing oh, wow. and he hadn't matched with me. But okay. it was like this is one of a kind match over here, yeah. and like. But what I find with Facebook dating is that somebody like I dated this dude that I met over on Facebook 
dating and he had my number and he like so after like I stopped dating like I'm I'm in a serious relationship this dude that I dated know knew this mm-hmm. and he's just like hey I just saw your profile on oh um, it's so, hard to delete maybe so sometimes it like it reactivates and okay. you don't know okay or like you have to like there's some like administrative work that you have to do on and some people are lazy right yeah they just forget about it or sometimes you go on there and you totally forget so maybe not a big deal but I definitely told my friend immediately I was like hey look who I found he didn't match with me but just so you know you might want to have a conversation yeah yeah, I guess it's a bit different than like bumble or I don't know yeah I think like you have to like I know that for those apps, I I had to like make an effort. Like I had to like sign out and like okay. tell them like deactivate okay. my account. Um and but like with Facebook dating, there's this like weird like because you're still on Facebook and then like you have that oh, activated you're be on there forever and never meet anybody. But <laughs> but yeah, but then we're saying like tell your girlfriends. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I wonder, yeah, maybe if you're that close, you should tell the girlfriend right away. But there is, I guess he could be tactful yeah, and just be like, hey, what's going on yeah. between you two? Yeah. I think if it was my, like, because I don't have a brother, so mm-hmm. I don't know. So like if the situation was with like my sister, like, mm-hmm. um, like my sister and I are very close, I would be able to be like tell like ask her like oh what's going on yeah like like uh, there would be no like barrier to be like oh i don't know how to approach this i'd mm-hmm. be like kelsey what the fuck is happening right <laughs> what yeah. did i just see yeah right. and then who is that what yeah yeah and then so it's i guess it, like it depends on like the how close you are with yeah. like and everything and like if the person like decides this person that wrote in that it's none of her business, then that's fully okay too, because mm-hmm. it really is none of her business. Like she's she not the just one not cheating. Say anything ever. Yeah, she's not the one cheating. She's not like it, those people are like full grown adults mm-hmm. making these decisions, and they know that she knows. So they're they're the ones that could approach her and be like, okay, like I need need to handle it this this way, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, like in a, in a way, like there is a responsibility on like the two dudes that were like that she walked in on. Yeah, like, what are you gonna do? They need to clear this up. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, so often it's women who clear things up. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I don't the like confrontation is hard. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I often circle back with this with friends. Is that like confronting someone is so hard? Yeah, that, but like it's when it comes into like reality it like it's like when you actually face it it's a lot easier than it's a relief usually right yeah yeah so it's the build-up that you like like oh what if like like you know i've there's been so many instances so many like events that's happened that like the like a guy was like that I was dating they were like slowly like ghosting me or like mm-hmm. not like engaging in like a relationship with me or whatever like we were just like a situationship mm-hmm. and then oh, yeah. uh, like I saw them pulling away because I don't know there was like not an interest anymore they started dating someone else I don't know um but they instead of like fully telling me like Mm -hmm. oh like i'm just not feeling it and Mm -hmm. like i feel like dating this one like instead of doing that they would just like ghost me and like i just find that's such like it's so annoying and just like tell me straight up yeah and it's so much easier 
it like on the person that's like getting ghosted and yourself because you're like you know you're you feel like you're like come you know you're like oh my god I'm being a shitty person mm-hmm. or maybe they're not thinking that at all right um like I had this experience with like a dude that was like one of the last dudes I dated before my boyfriend that he was like so honest through the like we really liked each other at the beginning we dated for a few months after a few months it's like sort of sizzled out and he just like you know what i don't see this being a long-term thing and just a simple that's just such a simple conversation i don't see a match here yeah and he was like i don't want you to be sad but like this i'm like that's totally fine i Mm -hmm. 100 understand like um like i really appreciate you telling me this and like we just you know decided the parameters of our relationship moving forward from there it mm-hmm. was so mature and honest and like I'm like thank you for like giving me an example that this exists yeah, you know we're no like guessing game you're yeah. just like oh do you not like my hair like yeah. do I- <laughs> Like, I was like, do I smell like vinegar because I clean my house too much? Like, what's happening here, right? Yeah, like, you can, like, get in your head about so many things yeah. where, like, it could be such, it, it, most of the time, 99% of the time, it's nothing you did. It's just mm-hmm. something they, like, you know, decided. Yeah. You know, like, oh, I want to date someone that lives closer to me or something. I don't know. Like, That's it could what be I s- like, yeah. So, like. I don't like, and you can't live in Laval. I yeah. just can't Oh, my God. Uh, my boyfriend, my current boyfriend, um, when we first started dating was in LaSalle and I live in NDG. I'm no. like, this is a long distance relationship. Yeah, that's <laughs> how I feel too. Yeah, I yeah. talked about I mean, this. he had a car yeah. and I have a car, so it was fine. But, like, I know it was being dramatic, but it's, it's still, like, yeah, I psychologically don't. psychologically difficult. Yeah. Do you, does, do, did he move? Uh, he he moved. He lives with me now. So oh, like, you yeah. live together. Oh, yeah. Okay, good. Okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And then you can cook and be yeah. happy. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. That is, I agree with the long distance relationships. So mm. okay, have we solved their problem yet? I, th- I think my what I would do. It really depends on the relationship that she has with the brother and the girl that's being cheated on. Mm-hmm. I think kind of decide there. Um, but also remember that it's okay to like decide that it's none of your business. And just yeah, so like either pretend confront, you saw nothing. Yeah, confront the brother or confront the, the girl being cheated on, depending on how close she is with them. And uh or yeah decide mm-hmm. to be like it's none of your i don't know i yeah. think there's no like i for her there's no wrong decision i don't yeah. think because she, it's not her committing this like yeah. cheating or whatever yeah unless it's a very close girlfriend and then i do think you should disclose fairly quickly yeah i mean and then and then the problem with not disclosing is like once you don't you don't like you yeah. have to keep that to yourself because yeah. i think i mean I just feel like it's like, oh, two years ago, I just think that's not going to go well. So it's like, make the decision and and do it within a few weeks. Yeah. Commit to what you decide. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I think like I would be okay with that. I would be okay. Some people wouldn't be okay with just like making never telling not never telling but maybe I just I also like I I'm more on a kick lately that like I can't care if they don't care. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I can't take this on. I choose not to take this oh, on that's as like my problem. Brene Brown, she's like, I can't be accountable for this. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Is that where you got it? Or you just I got that- it? No. I I think it was from the podcast B- Bitch Sesh. Oh, okay. Uh, with, Educational. Um, um, oh my gosh, I can't remember her name now. Okay. Raphael June Carter or something. Okay, like. I'm yeah, not No, not sure. Ra- June Raphael Carter. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. And she said, I can't take this on right yeah, now. Yeah, I'm okay. not. I, I choose not to take this on. I think she repeats that a lot. I choose uh, not okay. to take this on. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. I think when you get, oh, you're like th- between 30 and 35, maybe. I'm 34. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, I think when you are 35, you're just not able to take on as much. Like, I, I think we should always practice that. Like, Even like, I wish I'd learned this earlier. Reduce drama across the board. Yeah. yeah like, yeah, like I just like I remember when I was trying to end the friendship with my my gay husband, the abusive friendship I had, and I was like, okay, what can I? How can I do this with the least amount of drama? And I yeah. wouldn't say I'm gifted at the least amount of drama. <laughs> I wouldn't say that's my top gift, but I think it's maybe a good policy. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I definitely I, I support that. Like least the the path of least drama mm-hmm. and like I also always re- like I really wish I learned this earlier in life because like I took on so many other people's mm-hmm. problems that like it's just like if I if I have a brain is- aneurysm like boiling up this because of other people it's because of <laughs> Melissa's breakup in yeah. grade 11 yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> and so I yeah I think it like one of the greatest gifts you can learn for yourself is just to not be like choose this is not my problem they are two grown adults mm-hmm. they need to do with this um or even just like plant the seed with them mm-hmm. be like hey you know i know it's not cool but i'm choosing not to take this on you guys have to live with this mm-hmm. like and, and then, then like take like stay take yourself your out of it yeah yeah, yeah. okay good yeah. advice abby okay <laughs> And everybody send me your listener questions yes. as often as possible yeah. on Instagram or my website. It's just, it's very important. Yes, it's so important. Yeah, I love it. So we need to solve all of these problems. I, yeah, so don't <laughs> hold back. And now we are already at routines because routines, I love, I love yes. routines. So we touched on that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I guess. Do yeah. you have a morning routine? So there's going to be rice crackers, peanut butter and banana <laughs> and a coffee. What yes. else? So um, I do. And I love my morning routine. Oh, goody. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's always like evolving. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like aroused. I love morning routines too. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I feel like it sets up your day and I'm yeah. very productive in the morning, which kind of contradicts the fact that I have to go out late every night for mm-hmm. shows. But I I love getting up in the morning. I make coffee. What time do you get up? Do you sleep I, as long as I you tr- can? I'm not like because I'm out late. I always try to give myself enough time to sleep. So I usually get up at eight. Okay. Eight. Uh, Sometimes it goes to like 830 or whatever. So like I slowly get myself out of bed. I make coffee and breakfast and then I journal mm-hmm. and I do stretching uh, and or yoga. With with journaling, do you like do you answer questions of the day? Like, what is your? So I have like a five year journal that I just sort of reflect on like the day before, like what I did and Uh how I felt. So, um, and in this five year journal, like I get to see like what I was doing like on this day, like. You're how much few, so you have like a few lines yeah per day? i have like it's like i can write like like a paragraph or, oh my goodness yeah yeah so i i do that and then i i usually start um recently i've been starting like doing that having breakfast chilling for a bit and then i 
I usually start my day with like writing. I've been really forcing myself mm-hmm. to write something wow. uh, in terms of like jokes or whatever, or I'll write for like pot my podcast, like a mm-hmm. short story. And mm-hmm. so I've been really for- focusing myself to do like 30 minutes of that in the morning. Wow. Uh, it's not always consistent. Sometimes I have other things planned that I can't do it, but I really try to do that. You write by hand or on a um, I write by hand my jokes. Okay. Uh, my podcast stuff is usually I write. Yeah on my computer yeah because abby opens every episode i listen to each one with a story yeah yeah yeah. i call it like a story time yeah or but like some people have been calling it like a monologue Mm -hmm. um but i just i like the podcast has really like forced me to like write Mm -hmm. which i really like Uh, i love writing but like i can get lazy and i just like i didn't want the pocket like I wanted some structure to it yeah. like you you put a lot of structure to it and it's yeah. like and I liked the and then this the story time kind of like sets the theme for yeah, the rest yeah. of the and, then, and we can go off theme whatever but like it's just that's where where it starts you can off go back so, to that yeah so I try to like in the morning start off with some writing and then I also I always have like admin work for my company and Mm -hmm. then so like I have all these like work tasks that I do from after I finish writing then like my work tasks Mm -hmm. and then that usually gets me to like noon Mm -hmm. and then uh, I'll have lunch and then um, I'll do some I usually like I schedule cleaning in my day okay every day yeah every day uh I have this like whole like spreadsheet of like what I need oh my goodness like Abby Stonehouse is my hero (laughs) oh I know I should not be anyone like things go like you know off schedule yeah but I just like having the structure there because Mm -hmm. before that I like the cleaning would get ahead of me like I, I wouldn't be like like my apartment would be dirty and Mm -hmm. like then like my brain would be like all filled with like Mm -hmm. what like I don't know so I like like a clean house so I I just like I do a little bit of cleaning each day after lunch like after lunch yeah okay so um this seems like I'm like insane like putting it all out that I am so structured but like this is just the way my brain works and the way it like thrives better Uh and um in the afternoon I usually have some other work things I have to follow up on Mm -hmm. and then I try to go do some exercise in the afternoon whether it's a walk or go to the gym Mm -hmm. depending on what I feel like doing that day Mm -hmm. and then um I after that I spend time with my boyfriend usually Mm -hmm. and then have dinner and uh then I go to a show yeah Uh, right yeah. yeah Like how often, how many times a week would you go to a comedy show? So it really depends on the week. Some night, I think it ranges from three to five. Okay. Oh, that's lots. Yeah. Yeah. Weekends. um, I usually like, I usually have two to three during the week and then maybe one on the weekend Mm -hmm. or two on the weekend. Last week I did like, I think it was four shows. And you were performing at all of these or sometimes you go to watch just, okay, you're actually performing. I usually like, I, there's a lot of comedians that go to shows even if they're not on it and hope Mm -hmm. for a spot. I, not a person that does that. Yeah, no, it's too tiring. <laughs> like yeah. if I get a day off or a night off, I like I'm like yes, awesome. Like, watch I get television, to like, yeah. Like binge Netflix or yeah. something mm-hmm. and like chill. And mm-hmm. so yeah, that's kind of my routine. Okay, yeah. very productive, Abby. Yeah. yeah. And the next question I think was like, do you have a creative routine? So you've already sort of talked about you have your half hour of writing yeah. in the morning. 
And I mean, that can go a long way. But then if you have like a show, you have to practice more for that. Yeah. So yeah, um, I prep for my like I write in the morning um, and then I prep for my set usually like an hour before I have to leave okay. and like decide what jokes I'm doing. If I'm doing a new joke, then I rehearse that a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and then on the, the, like, so I, I kind of make like maybe like 10 and 15 minutes of my time, like before I have to leave to like figure out what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And then, um, on the car ride there, I'll rehearse it a bit in my head. And then like when I get to the show, I'll like go over my notes and stuff mm-hmm. So it's like, it's not, I mean, it's very, it's not me rehearsing like out loud a lot. Mm -hmm. It's a lot like, like if it's a new joke, I'll rehearse it out loud a couple of times. But um, the most productive thing for me is just to do it on stage. Okay. So I, I just kind of, I'm mindful of that, that I just like, I just have to get to the stage. Like I'll, I'll read it over a bunch but it's like, not like verbatim memorized type. Not a, like, not a lot. Sometimes yeah. like it ends up being verbatim of what yeah. I said, but sometimes it like, and it's not, sometimes it's not. And sometimes I'll end up finding a new way to say it. That's mm-hmm. even funnier. Um, just because it's like I improv it or I like, I get some sort of feedback from mm-hmm. like the audience or whatever. So yeah, that's sort of the way I, and I mean, every comedian is very, very different. Some people don't even go over anything before oh they go on gosh, stage. It's terrifying. <laughs> but that's like, some people are really good at like crowd work and they get like, mm-hmm. that's how they get like mm-hmm. jokes from it and they record it. And then, then that's how they like put all it. everything all together. So your creative routine is like on stage, right? Uh, a lot of like it. kind of a mix of both yeah, i would say but that's a big part of i it. definitely all the jokes that i that get to stage have been written yeah. out like a version of version mm-hmm. of it has been practiced mm-hmm. before the but i know that like the most productive thing is just to say it out loud and on see stage. if it works and, yeah yeah and then refine it from there type yeah. thing or can it Or like, can it? Like, if it doesn't work, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. Uh Um, and so, and like, once I say like a new joke once on stage, then it becomes easier to like just bring it up again. Mm -hmm. It's like it it gets really stressful to like I find for me to like try new jokes, Mm -hmm. like I because it's like the first time you're like singing out loud. Um, so I can sometimes I've seen this with other comedians too that like they just get lazy and they just do the same yeah. thing that they're comfortable the with because thing, they're yeah. like oh I've had a long day I don't want to like think about like yeah put that other mental energy into like trying to remember like right. a new thing but um I tr- really trying to force myself especially after the comedy festival I it was I just so inspired by all the other comedians that were like I saw I saw a bunch of shows all these like big name like comedians and you know some of my friends getting like the, these big shows that are like really awesome like John was on the yeah. Just for Last original and I was like okay this is this is inspirational I'm gonna mm-hmm. like really really try like I'm gonna like I know I'm gonna even though I've gotten opportunities this year and the years before mm-hmm. I really want to work hard on like my material to like be able to get to the the level that I'm like undeniable and they will put me yeah on that show next so, year yeah next Abby year just for laughs yeah 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 <laughs> yeah and then the only way to do that is to try new All, things. the only yeah. way to do it is just like people 
I know comedians that dwell on it like, oh, I didn't like, I didn't get this. I didn't get that. Like I didn't, but it's really all you have to do. Like you already know the answer. You just have to get on stage and try jokes and like really, really, um, focus on improving your like seven to 10 minutes that you want to audition, um, with. And, um, that's all we can do. Like, cause a lot of it is, is like out of our hands. Yeah. So yeah. Hmm. that's so cool i'm so great i can't wait for the next next big thing for yeah, you yeah yeah for sure yeah. i know i know a lot like i've gotten so many opportunities i'm so thankful for but mm-hmm. there's for any of us that's doing comedy there's so many different paths mm-hmm. to take and so many different like things to achieve that's why like i love it like there's it's just like never ending mm-hmm. it could be exhausting but it's like oh we there's all the stage is always there like it's it's fun like if you love it it's just it doesn't really become work right yeah because yes because you you left your day job like a couple of years ago because yeah. you were burnt out and tired and you wanted to do creative stuff like mrs dunn mm-hmm. thought you would <laughs> yeah. when you grew up yeah and but i think you didn't you weren't sure that was going to last right you were like not sure that you were going to be able to pull off the yeah but i mean even now like it's it's hard to um it's hard to make a living performing yeah here in montreal you're like mm-hmm. either paid nothing for some shows or very okay. little and, and sangria so <laughs> yeah so i i was able to like i've gotten like lucky i've gotten artist grants in the past so like that's gotten me by and i've done like contractual work and i've gotten uh so like i'm just getting by like and being able to focus most of my energy on stand-up comedy and comedy adjacent and stuff like my podcast so um yeah there was a while where like it didn't seem possible to get out of this like nine to five Mm -hmm. like job because like I needed to pay my bills I need but like and it's sometimes not possible like for a while because I had to like I really had to design my life that like okay my um, my expenses are at minimal mm-hmm. and um, I had a lot of savings I put away. Yeah. And so I had to really like come up with like a two, three year plan to like be able to jump and be like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to quit my day job. Um, so, and it was not easy no. uh, at all. And it still remains not easy, but it's, I really, really rather this anxiety and this stress of like, okay, like, of like, you know, waiting for another artist grant to come mm-hmm. in or waiting for another contract to come in, then, you know, having to work nine to five and then pushing myself to go to shows. And like, I don't have any creative energy left yeah. in me. So it's just, I know a lot of people do it and a lot of people manage and are successful at it, mm-hmm. but it's just not the way like my brain works. I need the space and like yeah. to be able to one, take care of myself and, and have enough energy to focus on this my creative mm-hmm. endeavors mm-hmm. yeah yeah no i i'm on that side of things too i just yeah. feel like my well if my father's listening and um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but like my father would love for me to go back to school and get a more secure trade i don't really know what he has in mind maybe plumbing okay. um 
But he's like, don't worry about your dream job. You can do your podcast, two words, on the side. And I'm just like, oh, no, my friend. OK, daddy, um, yeah. <laughs> let me talk. Let me talk to you a little bit. <laughs> but my, my friend, my friend Caroline's like, it's hard enough to do light work on the side. Exactly. You know, it's exhausting. Like with yeah. a, for a certain temperament, it's just yeah. not like for me, yeah. a full time job is a full time I mean, job. Sometimes some people can do it and good for them, mm-hmm. you know, um, but imagine what they could do if they can devote more energy yeah. to it. Like they would be like unstoppable Mm -hmm. you know so it's uh yeah it it yeah (laughs) and like um I'm I'm fortunate that like my I don't think my parents fully understand what my career is in a way and how I'm making money but they and no but they're like you do you (laughs) right but you started I wanted to talk about it you started a company not oh Comedy on Demand. That's yeah, the company. so the company is called Comedy on Demand. Yeah. But like the brand, there's two branches of our comedy, uh, of our company. It's called Lawn Laughs, which just happens during the summer, which is mm-hmm. what we're doing now. We do private shows in people's backyards. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's lounge laughs that are happen like when it's not summertime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we do private shows uh, for corporate and like not for profits that are doing fundraisers mm-hmm. and stuff. So yeah, that's uh, the business I started with um, Michelle Dominic. Yeah, yeah. And that's a very creative development. It's right? very creative. And I do like producing shows yeah. a lot. And it's very fulfilling, uh, for sure. Because you um, give stage time to oh, absolutely. everybody. Like, yeah, absolutely. not everybody, but you know, people, it's hard to get stage time in Montreal, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that like that opens doors for stage time, a little bit extra income. And then um, I'll, yeah, it, it's also it has taught me a lot about like running a business mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And I mean, we're no way like a thriving business, but right. we're learning. We're very new. It's still early days. Yeah, right? it's still like, very, very early yeah. days. And um, it's it's been a lot of fun. It's unique in the city too, yeah, right? And comedy, sure. I find, it's becoming more and more popular. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so then so you have your comedy on demand, which, yeah, I feel like that's very promising. I feel like that could, you never know where that will lead. Yeah. And then also you have your podcast, House of Stone, yeah. which is great because it's you and your storytelling and you're like well connected with the comedians, but it also has a special aspect of being hearing accessible, right? Because yeah. you have mild, he- I have moderate hearing yeah, loss. Yeah, I have moderate hearing loss. Uh-huh. I've had, I've been diagnosed with it um, since I was about 25 or 24. Okay. And it runs in my family. Okay. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I wear hearing aids. I really can't hear much without my hearing aids. Okay. And yeah, so um, the work, the full-time job that I had before pursuing comedy full-time was for a not-for-profit that supports people with hearing loss. Mm-hmm. I got into it because of my back, my education, I'm, mm-hmm. I have a, a, a psych background and then I, because I have hearing loss, so I was, I was very suited for running programs and services right. for people with hearing loss. So, uh, so through that job, I became really passionate about 
um, accessibility yeah. and making things accessible. Um, the world is not accessible for people that are deaf or hard of hearing mm-hmm. and, um, and podcasts, especially, um, and the arts, especially, especially mm-hmm. are not accessible. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I was able to apply accessibility m- measures to, um, my podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which has been really cool. And, um, I've gotten, really good feedback from it for sure yeah Yeah. and then that's led to other things like having accessible shows at like yeah Yeah. and so it's it's really cool to see like art being fully accessible Mm and having an example of that and just sort of like opening people's eyes to that because Mm -hmm. it's not really talked about and um it's very un like unknown like people it's it's just like it's not part of the narrative um when it comes to the like producing shows and the arts yeah so yeah it's um so that's like besides stand-up comedy that's like definitely one of my passions is just to like kind of just be an advocate for accessibility Mm -hmm. and just kind of um leading by example yeah yeah that's very impressive yeah and well i i I i'm learning lsq quebec sign language so not asl it's there's a bit of overlap and Mm -hmm. i'm learning very slowly like i have like i had no like you know maybe Mm -hmm. i don't know 200 words maybe but i think i forgot them and i sentences are very hard yeah uh but yeah it's just amazing to watch interpreters go like what oh it's so cool what a skill yeah (laughs) and even like i've i live with moderate hearing loss and i don't know like Mm -hmm. asl or lsq Mm -hmm. like i know some signs Mm -hmm. but because i i just learned to communicate um in a different way like I have my devices and then I also like lip read when Mm -hmm. I need some extra help and I use like closed captioning and stuff so everyone kind of communicates differently yeah so but I would love to learn like ASL it's it's really it's really cool yeah Yeah. like I felt like I would I felt like it would be easier I naively this is LSQ I guess like the French maybe as an added challenge Mm. and then I was like a bit discouraged by how hard it is but yeah it takes practice yeah even if you learn it and it becomes like you can lose it (laughs) yeah like I guess like I'm like what but but parents if their children have Mm. are deaf then they have to learn pretty fast but then I guess they're always practicing but yeah yeah anyways it's very like I am definitely drawn to sign language and like that area. So yeah, kudos to Abby for being accessible in (laughs) her podcast, uh, House of Stone. And I think we only have two more questions left and then we're going to do the the Backstreet Boys. Uh, So, well, cleaning routine, you said you had your spreadsheet. Yeah. Okay, (laughs) good. Um, I have, yeah. So I have like what I did was, (laughs) this is so boring, but it, no. (laughs) I I ask the question every time, so I hope it's not too boring. (laughs) Well, I realize it, I just, I find it interesting. Yeah, I love it. Because like, it really has like changed my life. Like I've told people, I'm like, my cleaning schedule is the best thing that I've ever done. Yeah, your morning routine is also good. friend Michelle this and she's like, like you have accomplished so much in the cleaning schedule. It's basically I just l- wrote a list of all of the cleaning stuff that I like to get done weekly. Uh-huh. And I what I do is I I just spread it out on a spreadsheet. So like every day I do like one or two things. 
that's like and then it all out. gets like, done in know, a week like mondays i like you know water my plants and i dust and then but then there's things i do every day like my dishes yeah. and stuff but that's not really on there um and then like you know Tuesday, I I sweep and I vacuum, and then good order um, there. The yeah. dust falls down, yeah, and then you sweep exactly. it. Oh, this I, is so I thought civil- about that. <laughs> so civilized, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I like I I have this whole spreadsheet, and I like I like physically checking things off. Yeah, of a list. So like I have, and it's on my fridge, and it's like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday to Sunday, and then yeah, so I have it all spread out. <laughs> but does Mike help too? Oh, uh, Mike does help. Yeah, okay, does he sure. check things off? Also? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. I'll ask him. I'm like, hey, can you do this or whatever? I like I work from home, so a lot of the time I'm doing it. But he does like do a lot of the other things that mm-hmm. I don't like doing. Like I don't, I don't like taking out the garbage. I don't like doing the dishes that often. I um, there's certain things that like, yeah, that mm-hmm. he does around the apartment for sure. <laughs> but I think that's good if you work from home to have a set cleaning routine too yes. because otherwise you might just always be cleaning or yeah. else never one or the oh, other absolutely like, yeah yeah like my default is like what am I gonna do today oh I'll just clean again yeah. like yeah. it's like honey <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um okay well congratulations you and John both had good cleaning routines really John, I I didn't listen to John's cleaning routine yeah he well he vacuums a lot he vacuums okay. every two days I'm like really that's I can see of- him being very because he's very like put together yeah. and maybe that doesn't manifest to his apartment. I don't know. Um, but I can see him being very like ritualistic and mm-hmm. no, and- he said he, he cleans the insides of his cupboards every week. Every week? I do that like once a year and I'm a I don't maniac. Think I've ever done that. <laughs> okay, but you just <laughs> no, moved I into have. the I new have. house. Uh, yeah. Like I have when I moved in and maybe like like maybe once a year when I reorganize, because I do love yeah. reorganizing things. So I'll do it when that. I reorganize yeah. things. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. It does get dirty. Like I understand. Yeah, the like, coffee it's good. grounds, yeah. the, like the turmeric just sort of pukes yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. My cupboards, it's, that can be a bit of a domestic <laughs> scandal. But okay, well, uh, thank you for that. And then the last question is, if you could change one thing about the world, what would it be? But it doesn't have to be noble. It can just be like. Yes. Um I don't know if I want to say like a funny one or like <laughs> you can say both. This is like a long form podcast. <laughs> um. Okay. So, like, I guess because I live with a disability, I would love for the world to be more accessible. Yeah. Um. And having dialogue, more dialogue around that for yeah. sure. And my funny answer to that is that I don't want to be invited to any more weddings <laughs> oh god you too yeah that's good not that i'm invited to a lot of weddings i haven't been but okay maybe more more specific i don't want to be invited as a like a bridesmaid to a wedding ever too much work at uh, too much work and i only want to be invited to weddings that are open bar okay because like even though i don't drink like i want people to be having fun and mm-hmm. i don't want that like like I need people to be loose and I need people to be, I need to see people dancing. Weddings are so long. Yes. They're so long. So you need people to be drunk. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, so I just like, uh, so I don't want to be invited to weddings that like are not open bar because that's a long day of just staring at the yeah. person that invited you and people aren't loose enough to dance. And, <laughs> and I just want, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, weddings need to be find a way to make your wedding fun, or yeah. else don't have and a wedding. And also, stop spending so much money on weddings. No, buy me there's a present. Different, there's you can put money in so many more productive things yeah. than like a wedding. Mm-hmm. I don't no. know. Like, I get the like you want. I people dream of this like their whole life. So, I right? didn't, but yeah. So, um, but it just it seems such an exorbitant cost. Yeah, this day for and something age too. that. I don't like I'm not sure and like, everybody like yeah I mean everybody could use that money <laughs> to, yes, like, do exactly. something else give like, me that money and yeah, I could live yeah, for you, a couple of years probably I think so yeah give give Erica and Abby sponsor <laughs> Erica and Abby's podcast <laughs> yes instead of, instead of like anytime you think about you're gonna buy, do something for your wedding just send us money yeah just yeah. and you'll feel like, good oh you want to buy a wedding dress give us the yeah $3, this is this podcast is brought to you by Marla who didn't have a wedding <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah oh that's good yeah and they can see like you know the like for the rest of their lives they'll see like this podcast on a platform mm-hmm. and like they they'll know where their money went to yeah marla yeah. i can't wait for marla to not get married <laughs> oh my goodness okay well that was very both two very noble things to change about the world now what are you working on right now and where can people find you so um I mean, you can go to abbystonehouse.com mm-hmm. uh, and all of my links are there uh, for various things such as my podcast and my Instagram, Facebook, comedy on demand, my business. Uh, so and you can also go to houseofstonepodcast.com. You'll find all the links to mm-hmm. the episodes. I'm currently working on uh, recording season two of my podcast. Oh, so goody. that'll be out and uh probably within the next month or so oh great the, the first like few episodes and uh so yeah and i'm just focusing on writing and performing mm-hmm. so if you follow me on any platform you'll see the shows that i'm going at there's lots or, of shows yeah there's lots of shows so uh yeah come out and see comedy that's a good yeah. time <laughs> great okay uplifting And so now we're just going to take a quick break and we'll be back with the Backstreet Boys. Yes. They don't know what's coming. No. Hold (laughs) tight, everyone. We'll see you on the other side. Love you. Bye. So, yeah, Abby, when she was a teenager, she wanted to... You were in love with Nick Carter, right? I was obsessed with the Backstreet Boys and Nick Carter. For years, mm-hmm. and I, my love for them has died. <laughs> but but you still <laughs> sort listen of to in their the last music? few years. Okay. But in my twenties, like in my early teens, I still really liked them and like listened to like their old like songs mm-hmm. and like they did a tour recently that like I had tickets to but I couldn't go to uh because there was a family reunion or whatever because it was postponed because of the pandemic anyways like I think the last concert I went to I was like as old as like 22 years old <laughs> okay and then you were done with- well like I will still like if they come to Montreal I will spend You'll the go. money to go okay like because their concerts Nostalgia. are like banging <laughs> they're like so fun you know all the words I know all the words I to most you back yeah yeah okay well we're going to not do the backstreet boys justice uh everybody (laughs) remember that the key to the sing-along segment of the this podcast is you need to sing along yes Uh, so look up the words we're going to sing the first verse the second verse and then oh i don't know what first verse chorus second verse 
chorus. The chorus. When are we going to sing the bridge? Oh, the bridge. I'm not no. sure. We'll okay. have to see. So. We'll just wing it. <laughs> yeah, we're waiting. We went through this, but yeah, we did. now I'm like. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. All right. <laughs> this is gonna be great. <laughs> it's just like, like he's playing an intro. Did you ever think that your life would like lead to singing Backstreet Boys with a ukulele on a Friday afternoon? afternoon? This is a dream come true. This is it the always best. is. This okay. is the best. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's just it just seems very funny. Okay. <laughs> the spade, I have to get that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe two more. One more time. (laughs) You are my fire, the one desire, believe when I say I want it that way, but we are two worlds apart can't reach to your heart when you say i want it that way tell me why ain't nothing but a heartache tell me why ain't nothing but a mistake tell me why i never want to hear you say I want it that way. Am I? Oh, you know this. Your fire, the one desire. When I say I want it that way, tell me why ain't nothing but a heartache. Tell me why ain't nothing but a mistake. Tell me why I never want to hear you say, I want it that way. Oh, now it's the bridge. Yeah. Okay. Now Now I can see that we're falling apart from the way that it used to be. Yeah. No matter the distance, I want you to know, but deep down inside of me, Goodness. We did it! That was splendid. Okay. <laughs> that worked out so well. I think I like at one point I was like, am yeah. I saying the right words? But, yeah. No, you knew that. It's like the back of your hand. Well, everyone, you are welcome. It's ingrained in my brain. Yeah. Like I wish it wasn't it's like etched into taking your, up like the, space. The fabric of your heart and it soul. Is. Oh my goodness. 100%. That was a real privilege. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you so much, Abby. And thank you so much, Erica. This was so much fun. Oh, it was the best. A dream come true. And we will see everyone. Like, follow, subscribe, yeah. listen, all of that yeah. to Erica's podcast. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to see you on the interwebs and on the other side. And yeah, have a wonderful day. Bye, guys. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Let's give Abby a standing ovation.
What a beautiful force for community, equality, art, comedy, everything. Thank you so much, Abby. And okay, thank you as always to my darling big sister, Tess Levitt. Thank you to Sherwin Tijia. And thank you to my dearly departed Eileen Gunn, whose generous and surprise gift allowed me to purchase new podcast equipment along with golden cables. <laughs> my name is Erica J. Schmidt. You can follow me on Instagram and the interwebs. And if mental health and youth and vigor and technical resilience prevail, I'll be back at you in approximately two Tuesdays. Okay, now it's time to sing. Are you ready? All right, sing along. Ready? Here we go. This is your strange and beautiful life. All right, thank you so much for listening. Love you. Love you. Bye.